0: Well, Nick, I can't believe it's been a full year since we did the OBGYN Intern Challenge of 2021.
1: Yes, and I think the most exciting news that we're going to break on the podcast today is that it's back for 2022.
0: Yes. So if you are a fourth year medical student who has matched into OBGYN residency in the United States, we highly encourage you to participate. And um, we will be sending out an enrollment form on our website. And also we'll be putting it onto our Twitter as well as all of our other social media platforms. So you should definitely sign up.
1: Yes. Head over to obgyninternchallenge.com. Check out the enrollment tab and you can find the enrollment survey there. We'll start the course up on May 2nd, so get excited.
0: And as always, this is absolutely free for you if you are a medical student. Definitely take advantage of this course that will hopefully help you and get you prepared for your intern year.
1: All right, guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is CREOG's over Over coffee coffee. all right so Faye, today we're gonna do a bit of a throwback episode um but it's important that we do a throwback because there's been some updates to pap smear screening and management so what are we going to cover today
0: Yeah, so I didn't think that we would have to relearn pap smears completely again, Nick. But today we're going to review the changes and controversy in the pap screening guidelines. We are going to discuss rationale for the changes to the pap management guidelines. And finally, familiarize yourselves with the pap management guidelines for HPV primary screening, normal cytology, and low-risk cytology. And we'll come back for a part two on high-risk cytology and excisional procedures. So to kind of start us off, Nick, you know we first talked about Pap screening last in I think July twenty nineteen, yeah. and then management of an abnormal Pap in January of twenty twenty. So it's been you know two years um, since we've visited Pap smears on this podcast, um, which is a little bit diff- like hard to hard to imagine. But shortly after we talked about pap smears, of course, we were already out of date because the ASCCP published its updated screening and pap management guidelines, and then they updated their awesome app. And if you have $10 to spare, you definitely should go and get that because it's totally worth it in residency and even beyond if you plan on ever doing pap smears uh, in your lifetime.
1: Yep. Still to this day. (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
0: Yes. All right, Nick. So let's jump into it. What's new with pap screening?
1: Yeah. So I guess the short answer is there's not necessarily a lot that's new in pap screening, but there is controversy. And it really is because of just some differences in different society interpretation and emphasis on different parts of pap smear screening. So in July of 2020, the American Cancer Society published new recommended screening guidelines for individuals who are at average risk. And this encompassed, Basically, three major changes. The first was that the ACS recommended primary HPV testing every five years as the screening strategy rather than doing co-testing, which is a big change compared to what the USPSTF had published in their guidelines in 2018. ACS also recommended beginning screening at age 25 rather than age 21. And then they mention in the guidelines that co-testing and or cytology are acceptable, but these are supposed to be transitory things until the facility or area has accessible to primary HPV testing. So basically you can do co-testing or do cytology, but once you have the resources and things available to do primary HPV screening, ACS says you should switch over. Now, in contrast, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, again, those guidelines published in 2018 that we mentioned on the podcast last time are unchanged. Those have not differed since this ACS guidance. But the one caveat to that is that the USPSTF does recognize that the evidence is there for primary HVB testing. So sort of the screening strategy, just to review it again, is that we start screening with cytology alone starting at age 21 every three years. Co-testing then becomes acceptable starting at age 25, though is preferred at age 30. And then you can do co-testing every five years HPV primary screening every five years, or cytology alone every three years. And then the endpoints on screening also haven't changed. So benign hysterectomy with no prior high-risk dysplasia, you can stop screening. If it's been 25 or more years after high-grade dysplasia presuming adequate negative screening previously, you can also discontinue screening at that point. So again, USPSTF hasn't changed, is still consistent with what we talked about in the podcast two years ago, Faye. Now there's kind of a third organization involved in all of this because...
0: (laughs) Oh boy, let's just make it more confusing. (laughs) just need to
1: like get everybody's word involved. So the ASCCP, the American Society for Colposcopy and Cervical Pathology, put out a statement in July of 2021 trying to kind of reconcile these two different screening strategies. And again, they note that the evidence does exist that primary HPV screening is safe and effective as a screening strategy, and actually comment that in increasingly immunized populations against HPV, that HPV screening may actually be more effective than cytology-based screening. And they reference one study that actually noted a five-fold higher detection rate in patients with CIN2 or greater based on primary HPV screening versus cytology beginning at age 21. And so they believe that this is actually going to be the ultimately better screening strategy for detecting some of those occult high-grade dysplasias. Um, But uptake of primary HPV screening overall has been very slow, ASCCP admits, and implementation overall has been challenging because it's difficult to get the technology into enough hands to do reliably. And so they continue to endorse the USPSTF guidelines that give the greater flexibility to doing cytology and co-testing. So the word that they use for the USPSTF is endorse. And then for the ACS guidelines, they say they support them. So I guess endorse implies something a little bit more strong than support. Um, (laughs) But again, you can basically follow either screening strategy according to ASCCP. They also include in that document um, a recognition that HPV self collection may be part of the key to making this technology more accessible and equitable for patients. And so hopefully there'll be more evidence coming out soon about self collection of HPV screening, um, but TBD on that front. The nice thing from that. A- CCP document as well is that they have a nice table comparing these two screening strategies. So we'll post that on the website so that way you guys can see it and compare, contrast, um, and maybe have your own little journal club at your programs comparing those. All right, so that's pretty much it for screening, Faye. So we really just highlighted the fact that there was a new strategy in place. Um, But the other piece that's changed a little bit actually is the management of pap smears.
0: Right. So in our last episode, Nick, where we talked about managing pap smears, we gave a framework that first separated paps into high or low grade, then the patient's age, and then the HPV status. And we'll apply that again and re-review the management and highlight the differences where they exist. So ultimately, the guidelines are framed around the question of what three or more what the risks are for that. So the first question is, is the immediate risk greater than or equal to 4%? So if yes, how high is that risk? And if that risk is 60% or more, then expedited treatment is preferred. And that's where we're thinking of some type of excisional procedure. If the risk is between four to 24%, then colposcopy is preferred. And if it's in between you 25 know, to 60%, either is acceptable. But then if the immediate risk of CIN three or more is less than 4%, the next question to ask is, well, what is the risk of having CIN three or more within the next five years? And then the answer is if it's greater than or equal to 0.55% then return in one year for screening, and if between 0.15 and 0.54% then return in three years, and if less than 0.15% then return in five years. You know, I I think like it's really difficult right now where you're like envisioning all these numbers and you're like, oh my gosh, now instead of just thinking about 60%, 30%, I'm thinking about (laughs) 0.55%. The numbers aren't super important to recall, but management is based around this principle. So we thought that it would be important for us to say those numbers. But I think, you know, when we actually go through the guideline, it's okay if you don't know those numbers exactly. Basically, the underlying principle is equal management for equal risk. The ASCCP also adjusts risk given the clinical situation, such as you know a routine screen, a patient who's rarely screened, um, as well as management of results during post-culposcopy surveillance or follow-ups after excision or treatment of the lesion. So there is a really nice figure that is included to kind of demonstrate and put into almost like this flow sheet of exactly what to do. So we'll go through the possible results on pap smears at this point. And we're presuming that you either perform co-testing or HPV primary screening with reflex to cytology, And we'll also presume that the patients we mentioned here are undergoing routine screening, meaning that they've had prior screening or it's their first screen of their lifetime if they're under the age of 30. Last of all, given the additional nuances with screening, we strongly recommend reviewing management steps using the ASCCP app for guidance, and we will just review the first steps in management plans. Follow-ups get much more in-depth and into the weeds and are very individualized, which is a huge plus for our patient population, but it's much more challenging for memorization. All right, next. so let's start off first. Let's go with HPV primary screening management. What is this?
1: Yeah. So fortunately, if your institution or group has switched to primary screening with HPV, you no, know, the figuring out what to do is actually pretty easy. Obviously, if you have negative HPV, then you just continue with your Q5 year screening. If someone comes back with HPV 16 or 18, remember those are your two strains of HPV that are particularly oncogenic. And so the recommendation is for immediate colposcopy as well as reflex cytology. If you get another form of HPV, HPV, whether that's genotyped to the particular strain or not, as long as it's just a non-16, non-18, then the recommendation is for reflex cytology, and then you'll follow the appropriate cytology guidelines. So again, 16, 18, you'll go to colposcopy. You'll get those cytology results still, but it's not going to change the facts that you need to do a colpo. And if it's other HPV, you'll get the reflex cytology and then figure out what to do from there. So Faye, let's kind of move from there, I guess, and go towards kind of those cytology and co-testing guidelines. And again, we'll just presume kind of starting over at this point that we're doing kind of a co-testing strategy. Um, So we'll mention HPV results and stuff here.
0: Right. So if we want to go down normal cytology the only potential abnormal in this category for someone 25 years or older is if they have HPV positivity. And the risk of CIN2 or greater in this population is really low. It's about 2 to 6%. And it increases if HPV is persistently positive over time or if it's 16 or 18 if your institution types your HPV and the result is HPV 16 or 18, then these patients should get colposcopy. If it's untyped or it's not 16 to 18, then it's appropriate to repeat co-testing in one year. All right, Nick, what about low-grade or like ASCIS, Um, those types of things that you find on your cytology?
1: Sure. So let's break this down into, you know, that sort of younger patient that's only covered in the old USPSTF screening guidelines and then get... To the patient starting at age 25 who might fall into the ACS guidelines. So, for age 21 to 24, um, your two low grade cytology types are Ascus, atypical squamous cells of undetermined significance, and LCIL, your low grade squamous intraepithelial lesions. Ascus and LSIL in patients aged 21 to 24 get treated the same with the recommendation being repeat cytology in 12 months. And this is because the clearance of HPV associated ASCUS and LSIL is overall really high in this group and colposcopy basically may lead to overly aggressive management. And so as long as there's not a progression too high grade subsequently there's no indication for colposcopy. Now, this changes up a little bit once you hit the age of 25. Um, In patients aged 25 to 29 and 30 to 64, the management of LCIL and ASCIS actually are similar. And this is a little bit different than what it was previously, where actually the cytology pended a little bit more. But let's go over the differences now. In patients aged 30 to 64, ideally HPV testing is always available by co-testing or primary screening. If you have an LSIL or ASCUS Pap with the HPV result negative, that's going to be an overall really low risk of malignant transformation. LSIL does technically have a higher risk so you'll repeat co-testing in 1 year, and with ASCUS, given it's a lower risk cytology, you'll repeat co-testing in 3 years. So again, LSIL or ASCUS that's HPV negative low risk overall lsil gets co testing in a year ascis gets repeat in 3 years um, if for some reason you have an lsil pap and you don't know the hpv status and you didn't get a reflex then the presumption is that the patient is hpv positive and so should get colposcopy if the patient on the other hand is ascis and is hpv unknown um then you kind of defer a little bit to the fact that ASCUS is more likely to get cleared. And so if it's a younger patient, age 25 to 29, it's okay to repeat co-testing in three years. If it's a patient age 30 to 64, you do it in one year. Um, And ideally, both would get co-testing on that repeat evaluation because the HPV status really does make a difference here and then finally as you might expect if you have LSIL or ASCUS and you have HPV positivity again that's a different ball game where we're expecting higher risk of malignant transformation and so colposcopy should be performed to underscore sort of this whole screening strategy you know the 5 year CIN3 risk for HPV positive ASCUS and LSIL are actually really similar um, it's about 7% for both of those pathologies. And so if you remember what Faye talked about sort of in the middle of the podcast here, um, with that 7% CIN3 plus risk, we would go for colposcopy being recommended as that sort of first step 4% to 24% immediate risk. Um, so again, I don't know if those numbers are technically important to remember, but sort of, again, demonstrates the underlying screening strategy. Um, Faye, what about patients who are older, like age 65?
0: Right. So in these patients, pap smears are likely only continuing at this point if there has been previous abnormalities or lack of screening. Um, remember in the past that we've talked about when patients who have had normal screening, three normal pap smears or cytology that they don't have to continue. So ASCUS or L-cell pap for these patients with negative HPV should be treated as abnormal. And so this will merit repeat cytology in one year. All other abnormalities, like if they have HPV positivity in this age, should also receive colposcopy. And know that when we're talking about these patients in terms of having low-grade cytology, we don't talk about excisional procedures at all. Low-grade lesions should generally proceed first to colposcopy before considering excision because overall your risk of progression to CIN3 or higher is low. All right, Nick, I think that brings us to the end of this podcast. And remember, we are going to be talking about high-grade things like HCL and Ask H with another podcast. But why don't we go ahead and summarize?
1: Yeah, we started talking about some what's new with pap screening, basically. And again, the short answer is there's not a lot. But in 2020, the American Cancer Society recommended a primary HPV testing strategy beginning at age 25. And the- suggested that co-testing and cytology would be acceptable but transitory. USPSTF guidelines remain unchanged, and so ASCCP has basically said that you can follow either screening strategy based on what's available to your institution, though recognizing that yes, the HPV screening is likely superior. We'll have a table comparing and contrasting those on our website.
0: We then talked about management of abnormal pap smears, and while we don't need to repeat those numbers again for you, overall, we give a framework of where there is high-grade and low-grade. And ultimately, the guidelines are framed around the question of what the risks are of that specific cytology or HPV result leading to CIN3 or greater. And then if there is a higher risk, then we do recommend expedited treatment. And overall, if the risk is intermediate, then usually colposcopy is preferred. And if overall the risk is very low, then those patients usually will get some type of repeat cytology with HPV screening, um, depending on how low would determine how many years in between getting uh, a repeat cytology. The main clinical principle is equal management for equal risk.
1: Again, we talked next about the screening strategies and what to do with different results, and we're presuming, given that the ASCCP guidelines have been updated for a lot of individual patient factors, that we're presuming the low-risk routine screening patient. With HPV primary screening, again, HPV 16 and 18 always merits colposcopy, and other types of HPV should get reflex cytology, then following appropriate cytology guidelines to guide management.
0: In terms of cytology and co-testing guidelines, if we start off with looking at just normal cytology, this will usually be in patients who are 25 or older, and the only abnormal finding would be HPV positivity. If the HPV is typed and is 16 or 18, then COLPO is recommended, but if it's untyped or not 16 or 18, then repeat co-testing is recommended.
1: Next, we started to talk about low-grade pathologies. Remember, in patients aged 21 to 24, ASCUS and LSIL, which are two groups in this category get repeat cytology in 12 months because the clearance rate is quite high in this age group. In patients aged 25 to 64, management is also very similar, but a lot of times really is helped by knowing the HPV status. If LSIL or ASCUS is present with HPV negative, you can repeat co-testing in 1 year for an LSIL Pap or 3 years for an ASCUS Pap. If the HPV status is unknown, with l you should go straight to colposcopy, and if it's ASCUS, you can repeat cytology in three years if the patient is under 30, and one year if the patient is over 30. If there's HPV positivity with either l or ASCUS, colposcopy should be performed because the five-year CIN3 or greater risk in that group is over 7%.
0: And finally, in older patients, or those older than 65, pap smears are likely only continuing because there have been previous abnormalities. So therefore, any low-grade cytology with negative HPV should be treated as abnormal and merit repeat cytology. Other abnormalities, like HPV positivity, should receive
1: colposcopy. All right, I think that does it for today. So once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee.
0: So guys, if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and go into iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and give us a five-star rating and review.
1: You can find us online on Twitter at CriagsOverCoff1, on Instagram and Facebook at over Coffee. or if you love the show and want to head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash send us some love and we'll send you some swag.
0: You can find show notes for this show and all of our previous episodes on our website, as well as the Rosh Review Question of the Week, www.criagsOverCoffee.com.
1: And finally, if you have a question for us, a correction for this, or any of our prior episodes, email us, kriagservercoffee at gmail.com. Hey, our friends over at Rosh Review have a special deal that they're offering for um, residents out there.
0: So, if you like access to Rosh Review, you and your friends can come together and get a group discount. So, if you have at least seven of you and your friends and want to get this discount, you can come together and chat with Rosh email them, and you'll also get your own subscription for free.
1: All the members of your group on top of this will get free access to a new mock ABOG qualifying exam, which is 200 additional ABOG formatted questions that's set up like the actual ABOG qualifying exam. That's your written boards. That's $119 value.
0: So if you and your friends want to have access to Rosh, go ahead and go onto our website where we'll put a link and uh, you'll be able to sign up right there.
1: All right, Faye. So one of the things that I'm really excited about is this recently released CHAPS trial. And I saw on the OBG project that they've got a great summary out already.
0: Yeah. So if you want to keep up to date to all those studies that are coming out, not only at OBGYN, but also other practice changing studies and other specialties, make sure you go onto the OBG project and sign up so that you can keep up to date.
1: Fourth-year residents can get the premium project, OBG First, absolutely free. It allows you to create your own library, save resources for you to be able to access later, as well as see something like the Second Trimester Ultrasound Atlas that lets you get brushed up on all those images that are going to show up on your written boards.
0: And, of course, if you are a resident in general, you can get their core curriculum Uh, on their website. So make sure you go ahead and go onto our website to figure out a little bit more about how to sign up for the OBG project and also how to sign up for OBG first.